action. And the actors are acting in front of you. It's as if they're acting only for you. I don't restrict their performance. You can never tell from an actor, from a leading actor, what he's going to do. Act yourself, figure out how to rehearse. You just have to do it. Try to not over-talk it or overthink it. Leave some mystery to happen. Because I was an actor myself, I know what they're going for. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Today we're talking about Ilya Kazan. Now this is going to be a chock block full episode of how to direct actors because Ilya Kazan was one of the greatest actor directors of all time. So this is going to be a deep dive on his acting directing process. We're not going to talk about his biography about where he started, you know, how he started the actor studio or the group theater or, you know, we're not going to be talking about the where he testified um, as, for, about being a communist and stuff. We're not talking about any of that stuff. We don't care about that stuff. If you want to look at that stuff, check out our Wikipedia page. We're not interested about that. What, what Bocky and I have done is we've combed through the internet, through books, through film, and we have found as much information as possible for you guys about the acting directing process and how he how he works, how his mind works, how he thinks, how he works with his actors. Like he is one of the biggest influences on the directors that we know today, like Martin Scorsese. If we didn't have Ilya Kazan, we wouldn't have Scorsese. Like, there's so many lessons that I've learned from Kazan that I know Scorsese uses himself. So, and Paul Thomas Anderson uses himself. Like, there's so many amazing tools. And it basically started with this guy. You know, this guy was an actor for eight years, you know, and we keep, we keep telling you guys, you know, you have to get out and you have to study acting. You have to be an actor to know how to work with actors. This guy was an actor for eight years. So he knows his stuff. Not only was he an, uh, an actor, but he like worked behind the scenes. He was an assistant director. He stage managed. He, he did all the roles. So he understands everything. He was a screenwriter. He was a producer. He did all the roles so he could understand it because as a director, you need to understand everything. And to start with, I've got a little something from a man called Man Scorsese and I'll read it to you. He is one of the most important figures in the history of movies. It's that simple. His documentary eye, his ability to hone in on the subtlest behaviours and interactions, his sense of surprise and beauty within his frame. His remarkable ear for sound, his astonishing sensitivity to the atmosphere. These were just a few of his gifts as a filmmaker. For me, Kazan is beyond important, central or influential. I grew up watching his pictures and they were instrumental in forming my ideas of cinema, what it was and what it could be. They were equally instrumental in helping me to understand myself, I think. And as I watched and rewatched them over the years, my experience of them evolved. So what, who is Ilya Kazan? What, like, what, what do we know that he directed? Well, he directed Streetcar Named Desire with Marlon Brando. He did East of Eden with James Dean. Like these are some of the films that he did. So we know those actors, like they changed the method acting uh, scene for acting and how we saw acting on, on, on screen. So that's just the start of Kazan. There is so much information on him out there. And um, if you dig deep enough, you can actually see where the roots of uh, most films have basically f uh, flourished into. I mean, um, when you when you see the uh, films before Ilya Kazan uh, and then after Ilya Kazan, he basically created a style which was you know, incorporating into the current contemporary films that we see in that style, people pegged this realism, but um, he didn't. He he kind of said, you know, it was more of a um, a poetic realism, you know, and that, that kind of reminds me of, you know, uh, Dean and I having to, to say that art and life are two different things, you know, and film is, is not 
life. It's a representation of life. I mean, it's it's the same way he kind of encapsulated everything. And um, he cr- he created a lot of careers for a lot of actors uh, back in those days. And um, obviously, Marlon Brando was one of them, and James Dean the other. Um, but and Warren also- and, and Warren Beatty as well. And Warren Beatty, and uh, he, there, there was a, there was a lot of actors that he brought forth from from his uh, school, the Actors Studio. So if we, you know, if we go back to, you know, how he got into this uh, limelight, how he kind of became Kazan, the master director, the the the, the master actor director. Um, he, by coincidence, uh, came to be an actor. He he didn't. He didn't pursue acting. He didn't like acting. He he said it himself. He he always had a fascination for film. Had a fascination for people. Uh, had a fascination for um, you know. As a young boy, you know, at at the age of five, he knew five or ten. I can't remember the exact age. He knew he wanted to to make films. The films that he saw, you know, and um, he grew up with. He, all he wanted to do was make films. But by chance, um, through uh, a, f- a fortunate meeting, he came across the group theater. And now when he, when he came to the group theater, which was basically a group of actors, writers, directors, um, that came together and they wanted to create a very unique, uh, vision at that time. They wanted to create a group that, that was founded on the same core beliefs and same artistic principles to, to, to get better at their craft. And the reason why I'm telling you this, I'm not going into the history, I'm telling you, uh, you know, why this group was so important and, and uh, more importantly, the, the connection that he had with and the, the, the craft that he learned from it was, you know, based on the foundation of expanding their artistic knowledge, you know, and you had certain people from all walks of artistic life that would that would basically take months off for workshops and they would learn about dancing about acting about directing about writing about um stage about in any anything to do with um creativity they would kind of encapsulate and uh through that fortunate event he he basically uh stuck around and he was he was a bit of a you know Mr. Fixit. He he was a stagehand and he he liked to be very physical, liked to be using his hands a lot. So they they kept him around to you know to help out where you know where he can. But suddenly he got much more interested in the in the acting aspect and uh, and writing. And um, he became very good friends with with Clifford Odets and and um, and a few others. And and through through that endeavor, he basically. Fast forward, the the group theater kind of fell apart because there was a lot of different, uh, I guess, different points of view and and I'd say different egos and different you know people wanting different things. That suddenly, the vision that was instilled deep in deep inside the uh, collective uh, idea was no longer there. That that it, it quickly ran its course. He, he didn't like to say that it fell apart. He he said it it basically did its job for for what it did. That when uh when he took on these skills and abilities he he acted in hollywood for a little bit he did small parts here and there and at that time he was also doing a lot of a, a lot of plays that he was directing himself you know as a as an upcoming director and also honing his craft that um he realized that that he enjoyed that a lot more and through that endeavor he basically saw an in to do some films so uh fast forward he basically got together with harold clerman and said look um i think the idea of the group theater was there but um i think i think we should do it in the style of not trying to be successful or trying to basically change the industry but let's create a school system or a workshop system where actors from all walks of life so you know whether they be from low socioeconomic status or the, the, there may be a different religion a different culture a different whatever um, and allow them to come together and kind of refine their their craft so if you think of it 
you know, in terms of something like a gym, you know, where you can come in, you can do the work and you can, you know, keep honing your craft and then, and then leave and, and do whatever you need to do. Because the one thing they both found was a lot of the people in the group theater, um, uh, because they were very renowned and, and they started to change the game of what theater would look like, they would get offers. They would get offers in, um, in Hollywood for writing, directing, for whatever. And suddenly you'd have, you know, certain members that would fall apart. They would take bigger jobs. They would take bigger pay. They would take blah, blah, blah. And, and they never had this core group that would stay together on the long run. But it ran its course. I believe it went for about eight years. So when him and Harold Clerman spoke about it, they decided to, to form what is now known as the Actors Studio, which is one of the most renowned schools in, in, in New York. And um, people misassociate uh, the Actors Studio with uh, Lee Strasberg, that Lee Strasberg, the acting teacher, was the one that founded it. No, it was actually Kazan and, and Harold Clerman and Cheryl Crawford that that founded the the actor's studio but later decided that um, Kazan wanted to do more films he wanted to because he was teaching there um, you know as well as Harold Clerman that he was basically being pulled in all directions that he and Harold Clerman decided that they needed somebody to be there full-time and teach somebody that wanted to teach somebody that was you know enthusiastic and then knew it and and Kazan thought that Lee Strasberg would be good. So fast forward, they, they put Lee Strasberg in, in that position and Actors Studio became something that, you know, we know and, and kind of admire to this day. But Kazan's idea and Harold Clerman's idea of the Actors Studio was create not as, uh, basically a school, not, not a system where it was implemented for you to get some sort of certificate. It was based on the idea of you learn, uh, you learn the craft. Um, the admission is free. Well, it was free back in those days. Um, the, the only admission you'd have is basically you'd have to audition for, for the directors, for the, for the actors. And um, they decide you know, your admission or not. And then by, you know, by, by having that, uh, that ability to create a, like a workshop system, Kazan and Harold Clerman realized that they could basically, uh, sneakily find actors that they could work with down the line. So, you know, um, a lot of, the actors that Kazan would cast in his films at that time and a lot of stage plays actually came through the the actor studio system that they would you know uh, come in either you know teach some workshops or you know through recommendation or through knowing they would basically create these actors that they could work work with with their method with their style with with um the Stanislavski system, which was embedded deeply into into the group theater, that uh, it allowed them to basically have an easier rapport and uh, a good working relationship. So Kazan uh, basically allowed that to kind of fetter into the into the films that he had. So you know, a lot of people don't know, but uh, Marlon Brando was actually a student of Kazan's. He actually studied uh, at the actor's studio with with Kazan, not not with Lee Strasberg. So um, that's where Kazan found him, and and later on he would do a streetcar named Desire with him, which was a stage play, and then um, they would do the film version. And after the film version, he would do go on to do uh, two other films, which was um, On the Waterfront and uh, Viva Zapata, I believe. Um, but I'd kind of like to, you know, if we can, if we can kind of go over the, um, so some of the, uh, working, working, um, methods he had, uh, to begin with on, on some of his films and we can kind of touch on, on the points where it kind of, you know, it, it kind of blends into our, uh, way of thinking or maybe another way of thinking for us. Yeah, absolutely. I want to touch on one point that you talked about which was like developing this studio or this group of people. Like his school, one of one of their things that they were looking for 
is they were looking for individuals to be people first. They treated them like as people first and actors second. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. It, it was uh, Bobby Lewis, Robert Lewis, not not Harold Clerman. Sorry, I get them confused all the time. Go on. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So going, so going back to your point about um, about them finding a, 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 an actor's studio and founding that and like using these group of people and these these actors to work with. One of the things that was like a principle at their school was they were looking for individuals that were people. Like they treated them as people first and actors second because without a personality, without like a person with feelings and emotions and like character and life experiences, um, it, wasn't, um, it wasn't as effective uh, to work with. Like they needed people to work with and people with a, a rich life and, and rich history and with experiences, like that was the currency. That was the gold for them in order to direct them and I dare say manipulate them in order to deliver these amazing performances. Um, so that's that's one of the the, the big things, like um, that, that that they used to 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 direct these actors is they they you know because they they saw you know he worked with actors that didn't they were just actors that were like just pretty pretty people just saying the lines and just going from the the text and, and just and, and showing off. You know, and 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 um, and kind of showing and and indicating that they were performing and they were emoting and they were attempting something. And Kazan thought that was all bullshit. You know what I mean? Like he wanted, you know, real people. Um, he was trying to capture capture that, and he he was looking for that. So that's that's a big one. I mean, like in terms of like manipulating his actors. I mean, like the the famous one is in East of Eden with uh, James Dean and the actor that played his father, Raymond Massey. Um, you know, they hated each other. They absolutely hated each other. Like Raymond Massey was like a traditional actor. You know, he said the lines and he, and he did the text as written. Well, James Dean was all over the place, you know, and he would tell Kazan, he was like, hey, I just, can you control James Dean? Can you just tell him to just say the bloody words? Because... He's not saying the text or he's not doing the actions that we've worked out before. He's all over the place. I don't know what to do with him. And he resented James Dean. And Kazan, instead of, you know, going, you know, like trying to find a compromise between the two actors, you know, because the text is there's like this this failed relationship between a father and son. There was like this disagreement. There was like the, like James Dean's longing for his father's approval. So if he like if he quashed though that that tension and this divide between the two actors, you know there was no basis. There was no like fuel for the fire for the for the uh, for the scene for these moments. So he would fuel that fire. He would aggravate it. You know he would say out loud. He would let those actors know that he wasn't gonna like squash us. He he was like fueling the fire for this performance and he got exactly what he needed for the film. Um, now, are we saying to do that to your actors, to manipulate them? I mean, there is a story where he worked with a non-actor and the non-actor was not giving him anything and he ended up slapping slapping the, the actor in the face, like gave him a spontaneous slap in the face and then got him to roll and then he started crying and started emoting. And he goes, well, and the actor said like, oh, well, is this... Is this like the Stanislavski method? Is is this is this what that's all about? And he's like, you can think whatever you want about it. Like that's up to you what you think it is. But I just got the thing. I mean, we're not saying to slap your actors. We're not saying to derive tension on your set because one of the biggest things that we talk about and we've talked about in previous episode is relaxation. You want to have, you know, relaxed actors are better to work with on set. But what we're saying is that, you know, this is, a, and also it's 2021, you know, you, you can't, you can't slap every actor. You can't, you know, like, you know, you imagine if you're slapping a woman or you can't do that in today's thing. Like you couldn't get away with that shit today. Um, it's wild. I mean, we, we should say it, you know, because in case you, you guys do your own research and dive deeper in and you, and you read that and you go, are you, are you saying that you should slap your actors? No, I'm not saying to slap your actors. Um, 
you have to know what you're working with and make sure you get, you know, like the casting process nailed in before you start, you know, working with your actors. Because if you know what they can deliver and what they're capable of, then you know what they can do on the film, on the day. So that should result in non-slapping. Hey, I, let me uh, let me kind of interject because you reminded me of a story of uh, Christopher Plummer. I don't know if you know uh, about his story working with Kazan. Um, he he basically saw Kazan as like, I mean, a lot of a lot of actors uh, during his time they saw Kazan as like somebody to work with because you know all actors knew that he would get a great performance out of them. And Christopher Plummer thought, I'm working with this uh, method known director, you know, I'm going to, you know, they were doing this play and he goes, I'm just going to show him how great I am. I'm going to do all this method stuff, you know, and he goes, here I was on stage, um, you know, doing all this method stuff and Kazan was sitting in the, in the, uh, <laughs> in the uh, audience seats and he was just looking at me. I was doing all this stuff and he was just quiet. I finished the scene and then it was just quiet for a moment and all I heard was 60%, Chris, 60%. And I thought, what? You know, he goes, I, I, I thought, what? Wouldn't he give me some sort of you know, method thing to think about. And he goes that the important story to learn was Kazan wasn't actually bound by, you know, his uh, so-called, you know, method that he, he learned. He, he basically took anything that worked. And like Dean said, like if it, if, if it called for, you know, and we don't ad- advocate for this, we're just... We're just, uh, you know, we're just giving you the information that we found. So, you know, where he slapped people to get certain reactions. I mean, if it was given for that time and that actor kind of made it appropriate, of of course, you know, that's not a method thing. It's just what was needed for that moment. But he was never, never really bound to this whole thing of... Um, you know, this uh, guided rule of, of having specific set of, you know, exercises and things. He thought exercises and terms and, as we spoke about, jargon was, was pretty much useless um, because uh, he felt that, you know, the, the more jargon you would bring up, the more it would kind of distance the actor, distance the performer away from actual life and into like a classroom setting. So his idea of... Uh, as Dean said, manipulating actors. I personally, you know, when, when I first read about him, I thought, you know, this this guy, you know, he was he 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 didn't seem like a very very nice guy. Like the the way he kind of what he did to his actors, um, you know, and when what what people said, how he manipulated them. Um, he, when reading more deeply into it, you realize that. He, he didn't only, only explicitly, um, unless the, the actors asked for it, he always indirectly manipulated his actors to, to get a certain performance. And by that, you know, we mean he would never... Um, and and let, let me go back. First and foremost, he would never, um, you know, he would never... Because he was he was known to be a bit of a megalomaniac and a bit of a control freak, um, you know, with with a lot of temper. Um, that, according to you know some some of his actors that he's worked with, um, that was actually false because all his um, all his directed criticism, all his directed kind of concerns for his actors within the plays that he's doing within. Uh, working with his leads was always directed at a one-on-one perspective. He never, he never, you know, even when he called, uh, you know, he said something to an actor amongst the other actors, it was never intended to be a personal ad hominem attack to, you know, belittle the actor unless, unless he was doing it, which kind of served the story, which is kind of a touch and go thing. Like Dean and I said, you know, we're not, we're not, 
saying it's a good thing or a bad thing. We're just giving you this information that um, there was a story where Kim Hunter, she was an actress that worked with him on a streetcar named Desire. She did she did the uh, play with him, and um, she talks about you know when she first got the role. Um, it was one one of her first experiences on on the big Broadway production, and she was so nervous. She was so scared that, um, you know, she said every time we would we would rehearse, um, and at that time, you know, we would rehearse in in one of the uh, top lofts in in the uh, in in the city of New York. Um, she said I, w- I would be like a like a frozen zombie on stage. You know, I'd I'd have I'd be so scared because I knew, you know, this was a big thing sort of thing. And he, he picked up on it, that she said that, uh, after one of the rehearsals, um, she was walking down the, uh, the, the flight of stairs and, uh, they, they finished rehearsals and Kazan caught up with her and he said, um, where are you going? And she said, oh, I'm, I'm just, I'm headed home. Blah, blah, blah. And he said, do you, do you mind if, if I walk you home? So she said, yeah, no, no worries. So they ended up walking home and, and, he started to get to know her. He started to kind of have a little bit of a chat. And as, you know, as she was about to go home, he said, Hey, you know, it's still early. You want to, you want to have a drink, keep, keep having a chat, yada, yada. So she said, yeah, no worries. They ended up going to a bar. And, um, at that moment they, they were, he was very, he was very quiet, attentive. And she said that he basically turned to her and said, what the fuck are you frightened about? What the fuck are you frightened about? Right? I'm not getting nothing from you. You gotta, you gotta snap out of it. Right? If I don't, if if I don't think, uh, I, he said, I, I wouldn't have hired you if I didn't think you could do it. Right? So why, why are you, why are you so frightened? What's what's right? And she said at that moment when he when he called me out, and she goes, he used so many um, four letter uh, expletive words that um, I was kind of taken aback, you know, and. Um, he said, I want you to, you know, tomorrow, I want you to, and she said she, she had a day off for rehearsals the, the following day. He said, I want you to come to rehearsals tomorrow. I want you to um, snap out of this, snap out of this. I want you to come there. I want you to overdo anything. Over, over, be outrageous. He said, be outrageous, be out, as outrageous as you can. I don't care if you sit in Carl Malden's lap. I don't care if you, you know, dance around or whatever it is. Just just come and, and, and do something. Just release yourself from, from holding this, this thing back that you're holding. And she goes, at that moment when he said that, he kind of, it helped me to go, oh my God. Like, he just, you know he he just created like a relaxed state of mind for me that she goes when i when i came to, to the rehearsals next day um we finished rehearsals she goes i i obviously let loose whatever it was we finished rehearsals and he came over to her and he, he had a little bit of a chat and he said good good you know thank you um good thing you did that because if you didn't i would have fired you he was on the verge of actually firing her, but he knew that she had it inside of her because he said, I wouldn't have hired you if I didn't think you had what you had. So that belief that he, he stemmed in his actors by, by getting to know them, he, his number one mantra was never cast your actors on a reading or a, what is it, a self-tape, you know. He goes, all you will get is an actor with a polished performance, you will find actors that have tricks, uh, ticks, knowing how to read, uh, knowing how to give a well-crafted performance because he wanted to basically see at the root of who the person was to see if they had it in them to be able to uh, kind of use that and splice it with with the elements and psychology of, of the characters and the themes of the script. So he, he believed she had that in her, but where, where he saw, and, and we've spoken about this, you know, we've spoken about overdoing it, being over the top, um, in other episodes, uh, that it, it released her in a way that, you know, it, it allowed her to unfetter and, and have certain colors so he could, basically work with her in certain, in certain directions. Um, so 
you know that that's a very very important thing to 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 consider you know having having a, a, a relaxed as we said a relaxed state of uh set you know being not only you having a sense of uh relaxed controlled state but also allowing to to see your actors that they they don't have tension they they're not s- sort of preoccupied and he saw it he was so in tune with with the actor he was so in tune with with Kim Hunter that he saw through you know her her stiffness and and her uh, you know her mechanical performance that that he basically said just just give it up just 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 do something you know just you know just just release yourself from holding yourself back that's his words just release yourself from from holding yourself back you know um and uh, he kind of made it to, to at his point basically he he made it to a point of know your actors know them so well intimately like as in you know don't don't cast them based on a reading based on a look based on whatever it is based on the, the essence of who the person is to find that essence of the person he said you know um hang out with them you know be uh, let them let them speak be quiet more you know not not for the sake of i'm getting all this information so i can manipulate my actors no it's to get to know the person like dean said you know they they looked at him and and bobby lewis they they looked at you know each of the actors coming there as individual human beings they didn't look at them as students oh you're a student and you're a student and you should no they looked at them at as obviously um who they were as people because obviously they had intentions of further you know advancing their careers by maybe casting those people by knowing their essences but also the curiosity kazan used to you know walk down the street and he used to stop and talk to random strangers he used to talk to people um just just out of curiosity just to know who they are just to to get a sense of of people and that helped him a lot he said fundamentally you have to know the psychology of human beings you have to know everything that that uh people are capable of and um you know what they're hiding what what their gestures are what their you know moods are what their feelings what everything kind of represents and by doing so you know it it creates a deeper understanding of of you know uh, um characters through through theme and 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 he would do that he would Oh, no, can I just interject um, just about like having those conversations with with his actors, the things that he would talk to his actors about, what he would ask them is he would ask like what affects them, what they love and what they hate, what's meaningful, how they react, how they do things. Like those were the questions that he was interested. Like you can't ask those questions verbatim, but he would, that, that's what he was looking for, those kind of you know, like those trigger points, the the love, the hate, like what what emotionally resonates with his actors, because emotion was the key to 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 the performance, to getting to the to getting to the juice of of a performance. So that's what he was looking for. He wanted to know the, I guess, the pressure points of his actors in order to, you know, effectively communicate direction to them on the character so that w- that was that was a, a thing and, and also um in terms of you know that kim hunter story which i'd never heard which is which is absolutely brilliant um he there's another actress that said that that kazan would give the actor permission like full permission to do what they what what they wanted you know what i mean like to be free to be to let them do to follow their impulses and to fall on their face. But at the end of the day, Kazan took blame for everything. That is one that is one of the things that he kind of uh, implemented in, in film and cinema is like, because before Kazan, directors came on to job to direct the actors and that was their job. There was an editor to, to edit the film and the director was not involved. Kazan was one of those directors that took responsibility for the entire production from script to screen to editing like he took the the 
absolute responsibility because he goes, if the film fails, if things fuck up, if I cast wrong, if the performance actors are terrible, that's on me. It's not on them. I take blame and responsibility for everything. And I'm the first person to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And let's try do this instead. He would admit that. He was like a, a father figure that gave his children the ability to come up with ideas. You know what I mean? Like he, that, that they would feel that their ideas were their own. You know, he would he would say like what he would hint at what he was looking at and let the actors fought like say like oh is this what you want and Kazan would be like yes and the actors would get excited because they felt like it was their idea but Kazan would always be planting seeds of that it was the actor's idea not the director's and Olivia Wilde actually talks about that's how Scorsese works Scorsese works the same way I think we talked about this in a previous episode of a podcast but that you know, Scorsese would inception his actors in order to make it sound like they came up with the idea for their performance, not Scorsese, because then they're attached to it because it's their idea. Like you always feel empowered when it it feels like your idea, when it's you are in control of your performance. No one likes being told what to do. So that's why we, we, that's why as a director, you should like, it's, it's a next level, you know, Zen master skill. But if you can inception in an actor to make it like it's their idea, like you're ten steps ahead of the game. Yeah, it's something that uh, I think it's a, it's a, it's a craft, and it takes time to to not, you know, talk in in uh, you know school academic terms like Dean and I have mentioned. You know, with with the jargon and and knowing the. Uh, knowing what they mean, but basically applying it to human mechanics, applying it to what the scene is about. You know, he would, he would basically say, you know, the content of a scene is not in the lines. The content is in the behavior. It's under the lines. You know, he said the definition of a, of a great director, his definition was a, a director has to turn psychology into behavior. And that you know, in itself, he never he never pushed uh, basically result directions. If it was with the people that they had the same understanding, he would work a certain way. But he was never tied into, you know, just basically, um, you know, incepting ideas and, and putting ideas. He would also, um, he was also known to, to work with, um, you know, non-actors. And what he would do is he would allow them to basically do what they understood. Like if he would cast, and and we've spoken in previous episodes, if he would cast like certain um, types, like a police officer, an actual police officer to play a a cop, he would, uh, he was the first to recognize that, you know, they have more of an understanding than I do as a director. So why not let them do their thing? And, um, you know, the non-actor, the police officer would say, do you want me to do this? Do you want me to do that? And he said, don't, don't tell me, just show me, show me what you're going to do. And then as they're rehearsing or as they're doing it, uh, depending on whether they're comfortable in front of the camera or not, he would, um, he would basically tell the cameraman, just, just roll, just, um, just, just film it anyway. And then we'll kind of, we'll incorporate it because he knew that, you know, it, it takes a certain level of craft and, and ability to be able to do something over and over again. Um, that he would also, you know, if they weren't comfortable, if they were non-actors, they weren't comfortable, he would usually wouldn't single them out in front of the camera. He would put, you know, if it was a scene between, you know, two people talking, he would maybe put another person sitting next to them or, you know, he would add another actor or non, non-actor to make them feel more comfortable. So we do certain things that would um, always relax the actor, always um, always give him the ability to, to create uh, an authentic performance because his, he, his mantra, you know, that psychology into, into behavior was always not, not based on, not based on, uh, you know, a predetermined mechanical performance it it was it was basically on something that uh 
that is so deep inside the person that uh, no one person can can replicate that person. And we've 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 spoken about this before. You know, this is what's made certain actors de- definitively. Um, you know, noticed as them, you know, nobody can be Robin Williams, nobody can be Jack Nicholson, nobody can be Jim Carrey, you know, nobody can be whoever they can be, even though they can mimic them, they can't deep inside bring in whatever they need to bring. Um, But I just want to touch on like what his, um, his process was from, obviously, we've, we've just spoken a little bit about casting on on how he would determine uh basically how he would cast his 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 leads um do you have anything more you want to add to that or um yeah like i think he in terms of casting um i know like he would cast his actors based on their their past life again like as we talked about like he would he would cast them based on what he knew about their life experiences. Like he cast Ed Begley Ed in All My Sons because he was a reformed alcoholic and had the alcoholic guilt. Um, so the character had, you know, a deep conscience and was very guilty about something. So he knew he had, he knew what real guilt meant. He knew the the burden of guilt. So he cast him because he knew he had that deep well of experience around that. Um, and he cast the actress of in um, when he did the play A Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Um, the actress was overweight when she was younger. And she, you know, so he had this theory that if a girl is overweight when she's younger and then she makes herself look skinny and beautiful, she still doesn't feel like she's pretty or attractive enough to get the attention of other people. Like there's, he had that theory that there, there, there must be something about them that in their, in, in that kind of upbringing that they don't feel worthy, that they don't feel like, you know, like it's like they can still be pretty enough. They haven't reached the limit. Like it's never enough. There's always something holding them back from truly feeling beautiful within themselves. Um, so he cast the lead actress based on, on that, on that upbringing. So yeah, like, I mean, that's what you want to do. And I mean, going, like going back to like the slap and, and like the, the rivalry between James Dean and, and his father, um, what we're trying to say with this lesson, um, about, about that, we're not trying to manipulate your actors, but what we're saying is if something happens on your set like this is how i would take this information i'm not we're not saying to slap your actors or to manipulate them or to drive it but what i would say is that if you do see something that kind of mirrors the 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 play or the film that you're intending but it seems like it could be destructive or it could be uh, detrimental just look at it as like can i does this justify, does, is, is, is there elements of what's happening now that may be negative, but could be beneficial for your, the performance? You know, if it, if it, if it makes sense, if there's like a clash between your actors, if there's something where it's like, I don't like that actor, you know, because of this, that I'm like, well, the actor's playing a serial killer. So yeah, it's okay that you don't like him. You know what I mean? Oh, but I got to do this with him and that with him. I don't really, really hate working with him. I don't, you know, I can't do it. And I was like, well, your character doesn't like that person. So use it, use that in your performance. You know, don't, you know, you don't, you don't have to work on that. You know, if, if, in the same, if, 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 you know, your co-stars are, are really in love with each other. Like he saw that Warren Beatty, and Natalie Wood were really like falling in love with each other and apparently they had an affair like a year later like um confirmed by their partners that they had an affair um you know and that was because they you know like he saw he saw that between them do you know what i mean like he saw that there was a a, a deep connection so that's why you cast so um yeah uh, just saying like if you see it don't sometimes it's don't fret if there's if there's problems or tensions on set because it might be beneficial to your film 
but don't you don't need to aggravate it like Kazan did. Yeah, I just want to kind of mention on on that point. Like it's um, it's interesting that uh, like you said with uh, James Dean and uh, Macy on uh, East of Eden. Apparently, when when he cast James Dean, you know he he found him in his office, basically sulking and sitting there, you know, just waiting for somebody and. Um, James Dean approached him and he said, you know, you want to go, go a ride and on, uh, have a ride on my motorbike? And he said, yeah, why not? So he goes, I spent, you know, half an hour with the kid and I realized this is the kid for my film. Um, that he said, you know, when it was time to go shoot the film, um, and mind you, they, they, cause mind you, something I found out was Kazan was one of the first, um, in America at that time to, to actually shoot a lot of his films on location. So he kind of pioneered that push to shoot on location. So when it came time to, to shoot East of Eden, um, instead of basically, uh, you know, going off to do other stuff, whatever it is, Kazan found himself to, to spend more time with, with James Dean. And he suggested that they both, you know, go, um, and drive down to, you know, wherever they were shooting that, you know, Kazan wanted to meet his, his folks, you know, he wanted to, to, to meet his family that James Dean stopped over and he met his dad and he goes 10 minutes seeing how he was with his dad. I knew that this kid was, was right for, for this role, but he never told him he never, it wasn't a thing of like, you know, he's twirling his mustache in the corner going, Oh, I know something about you now. No, it was, it was a thing of like, he was looking, and I believe he was looking for the deep connection between what is profoundly inside uh, the actor that could marry itself to the character and uh, how that stems to the themes of, you know, what what the film was trying to, to, to say, you know, it's... Um, and it, it, it was very obvious that, um, he had a tumultuous relationship with his, with his father, that James Dean had the same kind of thing going on with his dad, that it didn't take much. He said, I didn't, I didn't direct him that much. Like a lot of that, that famous scene where he's giving his, his, uh, Macy's giving, James Dean is giving him like that pile of money to help his dad and he's refusing it. Like Dean said, you know, they were two different schools of, of actors and um, they didn't particularly get along because, you know, one was well-groomed, well-known, you know, well kind of uh, classically trained, you know, Macy was, you know, not, nothing wrong with that, but um, uh, James Dean was, was pretty much the opposite, you know, he kept forgetting his lines, he wouldn't, you know, he, 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 he was basically opposite to everything. It was antithetical to uh, Macy's, you know, upbringing as an actor and, and they dis despised each other for that. And Kazan basically allowed that scene to, um, to, uh, when, when he shot it a few times, he realized that, uh, what Macy was, was giving him was a little bit, uh, too actorish, too, mechanical that he he basically uh told james dean off camera right to, to, to stand off camera and we've mentioned this before um in one of our episodes you know uh, about ch changing changing the lines you know change changing the um the, the intention you know to see how your actors respond that uh you know kazan kazan did that you know he pioneered that he basically got James Dean to, to stand next to the camera when he did a one shot on, on Macy. And he said, um, he whispered to, to James Dean and he said, just, just tell him everything under the sun. Just, just, you know, call him anything and everything. And James Dean stood there and he just told him everything under the sun. He said, you blah, 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 this and that. And the look on Macy's face was close to walking off like completely off the set because it was something he was personally offended to. He's like this, who does he think he is? Blah, blah, blah. But that's, that's what he needed. That was the essence of the scene. Now, are we saying you do that to your actors? Maybe. Depends who you're working with. Maybe. But here's, here's the thing I, I want you guys to know. 
all the people that, you know, um, have worked with Kazan uh, and all the people that, you know, have asked him, you know, do you regret manipulating your actors? Do you regret, you know, doing that to them, blah, blah, blah. He said, no, they thank me afterwards, you know, because, you know, or, or I speak to them afterwards because they realize at, at any point actors want to be good. And if you're there to help them be good, true actors will 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 let you kind of in incept them. I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't directly call call their personal histories out. I mean, that's that's something um that's something that that it's a it's a no go zone. But what he would do is he would basically um he would basically kind of mishmash the understanding of who the character was and then allow uh kind of uh their personal history to kind of trickle through that character's understanding so um he tended to use that and he he would call himself you know an opportunist because he said an act a director has to be a little bit of a rascal you know he's an opportunist he has to get it one way or another that's 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 just the way it is you know and if if the opportunity exists and you know how to do it um it will not only benefit the actor but they'll they'll end up uh, thanking you so yeah absolutely because at the end of the day like that's what we want you know it's like it's, it's a short-term pain for long long-term pleasure like you know immortality essentially, especially if you're doing film, you know, like your film's going to last forever. So, you know, break, you know, breaking an egg to make an omelet, you know what I mean? Like it's just one egg out of a thousand eggs that you could possibly break over a lifetime. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's, 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 it's really knowing people and psychoanalyzing them and, and knowing the ingredients as a chef, you know, you know, the ingredients that you, that you, um, that you have and, and you and you need to and you need to cook and that's that's what you do as an actor as a director you you've got all the ingredients and you and what 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 you do as a director is you're the master chef you're in charge of the kitchen 